thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food reel with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. team and welcome back to The Real Food Real. Today on the show I am joined by our good friend Peter Defty and he and I are going to discuss all things real food, fat adaptation and metabolic testing. Before we welcome Pete to the show, I just wanted to start with a little bit of a recap about metabolic testing for those that aren't quite familiar with it. Essentially, it's a test that we can do at both rest and exercise Um, The exercise test is the one we're going to be discussing in greater detail today. What it does give us is a great understanding of our preferential fuel utilization, whether it's carbohydrate or fat. Uh, We get something called a respiratory quotient or RQ, where 0.7 is pure fat burning, 0.85 is a combination of fat and carbohydrates, And one is complete carbohydrate or sugar burning. Now, as we uncover today, this data can be really useful for athletes um, and certainly for the general population to help prescribe efficient training. Um, I'm going to leave the sort of science there and and get Peter to join in with us. Um, It'll all be quite clear by the end of our podcast today. So hi, Pete, and thanks for coming back to the show. Hey, Steph, how are you? And thanks for having me back on. Uh, yes. um, I don't know, you don't have a scientist here, but uh, uh, I can help guide people with the real world uh, ways with using metabolic carts. Yeah, absolutely. Which is what we want to do. The science is nice to get a, a base level of understanding, but really it's the practical application that is the most useful. So tell us then... Um, Perhaps a little bit of an overview about, say, heart rate training and what you might do with your athletes um, for setting an aerobic heart rate zone or giving them some guidelines around the intensity of that sort of training. Yeah, okay. Well, um, I'd like to, um, by um, discussing how we we, we we operate and and because we're trying to look at the foundation of somebody's metabolism which which we think and and the results seem to demonstrate is getting your fat metabolism optimized first you know it's it that's the foundation mm-hmm. of of where real performance is in our in our perspective you know, like I said, it's a foundation. So when you say you and your fiance are looking at houses, when you drive up to a house, do you see the foundation? Mm. You know, right? You, you don't see the foundation, but but a good foundation is essential to build upon. And uh, unfortunately, your science has kind of gone towards looking what's in, directly in front of people. Um, so we want to get that that fat burning foundation where metabolic testing is, is a fabulous tool for, for helping 
people understand uh, and correlate to the experience they get. Did I answer that correctly, Steph? Yeah, absolutely. So I think what we're looking at here with, with the metabolic testing, I think let's let's talk about the crossover point. That is, I feel, what is the most useful piece of data, at least initially. So the crossover point, for those that don't know, is the heart rate or it's the intensity at which the individual moves from predominant fat burning into predominant sugar burning. So a really simple way to use that crossover point is to ensure that your base training falls underneath that. Is that correct? Well, the crossover point, uh, yes, you're correct in that, but the crossover point was developed by George Brooks and colleagues at uh, the University of California at Berkeley, I believe it was in the 90s. And actually a close friend of mine, Dr. Franco Navazio, who's now deceased, he's an MD, PhD, was one one of the colleagues on that. So I, I got a pretty good insight into the crossover uh, years ago with discussions with him. So um, unless we're wrecked, we're all burning some level of fat and carbs. Um, say we're conventionally fueled, we're burning a mixture of fat and carbs and the rest will tend to burn more fat. And then as we start to move and think, because brain activity also is a, is a big energy use, we start to use more require more energy and and what happens is depending on a, a number of factors the crossover point is sort of where you move from burning a lot of fat to burning a lot of carbohydrate and the crossover point that George Brooks developed conventional paradigm of a high carb relatively low fat diet was that people athletes crossed over anywhere from about 20 percent to 65 percent of their vo2 max so that that's where you know you stopped using fat as your main energy source and started to burn carbohydrates okay so now now when we're talking about optimizing fat metabolism what we've been seeing is trying to shift that that curve to the right so instead of a well-trained athlete burning carbohydrates between 65 and say 70% of VO2 max, they're now burning it at uh, 75 to 85 max. So that and that's that that's been shown in the faster study, which we discussed earlier, and clearly um, is challenging what existing body of science is saying in terms of what what athletes can metabolize at what intensity. Yeah, I mean, I think that was such a fantastic finding um, from the FASTA study and I will direct our listeners back to those episodes um, which will be in the show notes where you and I basically dissected the the study a couple of times. Um, But, yeah, I think certainly now the paradigm that we see is that with nutritional and training strategies, we can push that crossover point to the right which opens up this, um, you know, fantastic ability to be able to burn fat at an ideal intensity which would be you know a race pace for someone whereas you know what I think we saw conventionally is you know maybe some base training was accelerating fat burning but as soon as the individual would up the intensity which would often be a race 
they would switch into sugar burning and that's where we see those nutritional bonks or certainly a fueling strategy that no longer supports that race intensity? That, that's correct. And that's where metabolic testing is a wonderful tool to see where you're at and then and then train uh, moving that curve to the right and, and getting into that race uh, pace zone where you can be burning mostly fat at a rate performance, particularly for um, endurance sports. So, you know, what Faster has shown with that shift in the crossover plus the, the rate of oxidation, the amount of, of fat you can burn per minute, is that now that sweet spot that's of, of 85 to 80%, 85% uh, of VO2 max, which is sort of the desired goal for, for race competition level sports and endurance, now, all of a sudden, people who are fat adapted are right in that zone. Um, so, you know, this is where the metabolic testing can help shape the athlete to get into that zone and become fat adapted. Now, for the rest of your audience, because I, I, I'm, I'm assuming you don't just train endurance athlete. You probably train a lot of people from all walks of life and all different abilities. That is, is That holds for those people get them into that zone where their body wants to burn fat for fuel. Oh, absolutely. And I think this is where, you know, the conversation for us often starts with endurance athletes. But um, thinking about the optimal fuel source for general health, I mean, it's got to be fat. We know that excess sugar um, is the metabolic pathway to inflammation and, and metabolic dysfunction. So if we're looking after our long-term health, we've got to be looking at burning fat as our predominant fuel. That, that's correct. And, you know, as I've said in earlier podcasts, I mean, the reason we carry a lot of fat is because that's what we're meant to burn aerobically and, and glycogen and glucose are fight or flight fuels. And, and unfortunately, modern, um, the modern nutritional sciences, particularly as they apply to sports, have taken people so far afield of our, our natural uh, evolutionary heritage to burn fat that we we aren't. And so, when we're talking about the using a metabolic cart to um, increase our our fat, we we want to um, use that as a tool. And that's that's I think one of the, my key messages here today is that that. We need to look at it as a tool, not as um, as a, a tool, not not as something to chase da- chase data on. Because you know, um, so many people are driven by metrics, and they try to engineer their training and their racing. and And I think as we go into this discussion, I want to I'll keep reiterating that you wanna you wanna get into the zone and get that experience of what it feels like to be fat adapted, what it feels like to see your body go into fat burning mode and then feel like you can go all day at a good rate. And then the data you're collecting on a metabolic card or by recording your heart rate and your runs on straw and then then doing all that kind of reaffirm what you're feeling. Yeah. It's obviously the the application of the science plus the art, which is – you know, why being an intuitive athlete is so important. It's, it's absolutely critical. And, and, and I, I've been, been much more public about this recently, but I've always said it with athletes I'm coaching is that um, what we, what we wanted, what people need to realize is the, the carbohydrate 
load is, is, is one of the biggest factors in getting fat burning to happen, you know, getting it down so you, you can get your insulin down, get your insulin so your body can burn fat. But at the same time, um, I'm finding that mental thought is, is just as big a factor. It's a very different factor and it, it manifests itself in very different ways. Um, but it's just as big a factor. So people shouldn't be chasing their data. They should be using their data to reinforce their intuitive um, proprioception of feeling and how they're performing. Yeah, I agree. Because I think you certainly get some big signs when you're burning through carbohydrates as um, you've probably seen to the to the right hand side of the crossover point for a lot of people we just see this exponential increase in carbohydrate oxidation so if anyone's training and racing out there they'll they'll feel like basically you know the only answer is to slow down because they're starting to run out of fuel um, but that's also where our, our recovery can be quite um slow because of the reactive oxygen species that carbohydrates produce. That's correct. Um, so, you know, you just don't want to, you just don't want to use it up and, and the strategies we can employ for all that are just are, are tremendous by using, you know, a metabolic heart, heart rate training mm. as that tool to, um, you know, reinforce, like I said, this experience we're having, because when you look at somebody like Mark Allen, you know, Mark Allen was your typical type A go-getter kind of guy. But when you look at his coaches, um, you know, Phil Maffetone being and uh, Brett Segunda, who was a shaman, being another, these are two really chill, very intelligent kind of guys who really got Mark off that edge, you know, talked him down from the ledge to kind of chill out and get into that zone, focus on staying in the zone. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And I'm glad you raised Dr. Phil Maffetone because I wanted to talk to you about um, MAF heart rate training and, and, and the comparison to metabolic CART. So we know that Dr. Phil Maffetone has developed the 180 minus age formula, which puts us in that heart rate zone as an estimate to optimal fat utilization. So this is a great strategy that anyone can start with to look at picking a, a, an intensity to... Um, certainly, you know, I think at least begin that journey. So how then do we use, I guess, both our MAF heart rate or crossover point or which do we just select to um, choose for that optimal fat utilisation when we've got both pieces of information? Okay, so like I was saying, like we were talking about, you know, using the tools that are out there. So um, I think it's always, if you're going to go this route and you want to get, get, uh, do some metabolic, you should get uh, a baseline test done to see where you are. Right. And then before you start doing, going down the fat, uh, once you have your baseline, uh, we want to try and control the variables to a certain degree, but because it's the real world, we're not going to control them to the same level as, say, the faster study or locking people up in a metabolic ward. So once you get your baseline thing, if you are if you haven't done the dietary shift and but you want to train, you want to start with uh, what, what I would consider the straight-up um, MAF testing, which, which Maffetone calls 
uh, maximum aerobic function because he's such a humble guy. But it's you know it's commonly known as as the Maffetone method, and that is. <laughs> Uh, instead of the old 220 minus your age heart rate training, you, you go 180 minus your age plus variables depending on, on plus or minus um, to get your what they call the math heart rate. Um, and that is your maximum aerobic function. And that's your training rate for a couple of weeks, two to three weeks to build that um, aerobic engine and get the fat burning in place. Because, uh, you know, one of Mark's famous stories is how when he first came to Phil Maffetone, he was a he was a hard charger and, and doing well and placing, but he wasn't winning. He dominating and Phil told him to do this math testing and said, I want you to do um, your you know, your at at the pace of your of one eighty minus your age. And when when Mark went out and did that, lo and below behold, instead of running five six minute pace which was what he always strived for in all of his training he was running eight and a half minute pace Pimp and it mile. just shocked him to be going so slow and and you know it was a it was a it was a real shock to him and it it you know there was a little bit of tension there with him and phil but but um fortunately phil convinced him he trusted phil to go with the process and over time by using that math training he was able to Keep his heart rate pretty much in that range of 180 minus in his age, but his pace came down from that 830 back down to that six minute, five and a half minute pace at the same heart rate. And that's huge. Okay, but we're going to take it even further because this is 2016 and, and OFM is now under the picture. So people need to keep in mind that the time that Phil Maffetone and Mark Allen were working together, Mark was using a relatively high carbohydrate. So he didn't have that fundamental physiological shift that's brought about by dietary um, means. Okay, he was just doing the athletic aerobic means. So now today, um, what we've seen with athletes we're working with after is we're using what we call the modified Maffetone method or MMAF, which which I kind of developed after working with athletes and thinking about this and seeing what was happening that we saw so many athletes that were doing math and they were already restricting the carbohydrates and, and were and by doing straight up math which is 180 minus their age they were plateauing okay so what we did was we raised it back up to 200 and maybe somebody like Zach Bitter for example um, uh, who an elite ultra runner, he may be with the adjustments and all, he might be back up to 220. So we, we move up to two, instead of 180, it's two plus and seem to work with, with most athletes to, to make those that shift because you've already shifted when you do the dietary change, you're going to shift that crossover to the right and you need to do that. And, and ironically, all the low carb diet cohort we're averaging 10 to 15 beats per minute faster at that 65% VO2 max three-hour treadmill test over the high-carb athletes. So this all makes sense um, when you correlate it to what's what's coming out of the faster studies that, that, that there is a need for a higher heart rate to gain that training effect of, of maffetone method or maximum aerobic function testing or training 
to move forward. So back to the metabolic testing. So you get your baseline. And if you're not dietarily shifted, but you're exercising, you want to use straight up math training. If you're dietarily already restricting your carbohydrates and you've gone through that hard research reset phase and you're doing well, you probably want to go to the 220 minus your age. Um, and then um, once you get these places, so once you're in a place where you can you're getting that thing, you want to take another test with the metabolic cart. You know, that would be a, a good time to take another test and see where you are. Okay. Yes, it sounds so like you, a lot. You already kind of know that. Mm. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it sounds like there's a lot of variables, but I guess it allows you to evolve the process as your body adapts, which is really important well, because you obviously will get the plateau otherwise. Well, and that's and you're exactly right there. Um, and then, you know, like I'm talking talking you through there, and then yeah, I'm. There's a lot of variables involved to to make this work, but at the same time, it's it's not. It's very doable um, if you just know some of the basics. And and as I'm saying, when you by the time you're ready to get that next in the metabolic card testing, you'll probably already sense where you are, and and all that data is going to do when you. You and, and your crossover, all that data is going to do is reassure you what you already intuitively feel. Mm. Okay, so that will second data, data point. Now, if you're not diet, dietarily shifted, I would say do some math training, and then when you're ready to do a hard reset, do do that. You know, do your math training. Take a data point with a respiratory cart, then go through a, a dietary carbohydrate restriction like what we call our hard reset, which is two to two, you know, three days to three weeks of really restricting the carbohydrates to get that fundamental shift to where your body wants to burn um, fat as fuel because you're getting your insulin down, your insulin sensitivity up and, and that whole host of things that have mm. to make that transition back to that fundamental fat burning state. Um, then I would take, you know, you take one before then and then take one three or four weeks or six weeks after you do that. So those would be all good data points on a, on a metabolic testing protocol. And then once you get to that point, you want to start bringing back strategic carbs, bringing back one to three um, high-intensity workouts per week, depending on you know who you are. If you're a professional athlete, you, you may be bringing in a whole lot more, um, uh, you know, uh, training than than if you're, uh, say, a say a person with a day job and you you've got a family and kids where you know one one to three workouts a week might be a struggle. You might only get one. You might get two. You know. Um, but you want to bring in uh, those workouts where you do a good solid warm up, and then for 15 to 30 minutes, you bring the intensity up and just let the heart rate run. And that has the effect of, of inducing an adaptive stress that, with with proper recovery, is going to help shift that crossover further at metabolism, that rate. Um, and this is what all the faster studies, these faster studies. These athletes were all very well adapted, okay? And so you'd want to go into that training for another four to six weeks and then take another data point 
um, once you add the intensity up. And, and um, based on what I'm seeing, uh, you'll probably see a, another incremental increase in that shifting that crossover to the right and shifting the rate of, of fat burn up. So, you know, you're talking about one, two, three, four, five or six data points of metabolic heart testing, depending on, on, on who you are and what you're doing. And, and metabolic carts are now pretty available. So I think the testing, if you get on a program, isn't, isn't too bad. I think you, for less than $500, you can, you know, get that kind of testing done. Well, even in Australia, if you've got good private health, you might not pay much at all. Um, I've had people paying $20 yeah, for that testing. Yeah, exactly. Because it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't take much to put somebody on a metabolic cart, but the, but the price of the carts has come down and uh, uh, top-notch uh, trainers and nutritionists and people in sport and universities all have them. And, um, they're, not, they're not so esoteric. Yeah. So I wanted to talk more about the intensity side of things because what I see conventionally is a lot of black hole training. So people are training on that right-hand side of their crossover point essentially all the time which we've discussed is quite stressful and requires greater recovery. But, you know, to me it seems to be what can create these training plateaus or burnout if, it, if it's left to go too long. So what are your observations there around the black hole training and the sort of chronic cardio that we see in um, a conventional endurance or training prescription? Yeah, well, Steph, yeah, this is interesting. Now, OFM, we take a, a very different approach, and, and um, it's, not, it's not different in that it's radically different. If you look at it's like what's old is new, uh, uh, I, if that makes sense. But, you know, right now um, in the more conditioning type of sports and the resistance training and certainly in the paleo and chronic, this this mantra that chronic cardio is bad. Um, I'm sure you've heard that, right? Mm, correct. So, um, but you know, all these people who are running around saying this are looking at the conventional science and and what they're what they're not not contexting that conventional science. They're correct based on that that with the science they're looking at. However, um, what we're doing in the optimized fat spear sphere is is when you're as i've said before when you're doing a lot of exercise including chronic cardio uh in a glucose based world you're probably doing yourself more harm than good which yeah. which i i would be 100 percent on board with what these people are saying about chronic cardio being bad but that's that's the lens they're looking through that's the body of science that's out there whereas what we're seeing with this whole fat metabolism based approach which which i'm sure you're seeing with your clients is it's it's remarkable you know the changes are just remarkable and that by by doing really good cardiovascular base building as your foundation then all of a sudden an athlete can go anywhere they want whether it's to further their endurance racing things but even if they want to go into more um strength and conditioning type workouts, their ability to work out harder and handle a bigger training load 
Um, and I think the biggest thing is, is they're, they're going to induce the kind of adaptive stress that induces the formation of the type two aerobic fast twitch muscle rather than the type one anaerobic, uh, fast twitch muscle. So for those kinds of sports that require bursts of strength and speed and, and all that, um, the athlete we're creating, yeah, they're going to be leaner and not as bulky, but they're going to be much more resilient. They're going to be quicker, do it longer, and do just as much, unless unless we're talking about something like Olympic powerlifting. But for things like CrossFit and um, HIIT workouts and your typical gym workout, the athletes we found that have adopted this cannot believe it's done for them. Um and it's all based on on developing this fat burning aerobic base because it allows you. I, I can explain some of the theories I have behind why it does that, but uh, that's what we're seeing. And and you know when we you know uh, the audience should keep in mind back when we were seeing what we were seeing with the endurance when I first started this, everybody thought we were nuts. And and what we were seeing that has happened myself and the athletes I was working with, and now it's been validated by faster. So I'd say that you know. Uh, what we're seeing is is real and and uh, I think there's a good scientific basis for this oh absolutely and I think it's just important to clarify that you do need to or most people will need to slow down to go faster eventually which is where I think that the message gets a little bit lost my point about the conventional training is that you know the mindset is more and faster and harder whereas you know, that actually isn't aerobic training. It's not going to get a bigger heart. It's not going to accelerate. Yeah, I I, I know. I know. Exactly, Steph. And the way you're talking to me, I'm wondering, God, do I have to pay you $2 a minute to listen to you talk to me this way? (laughs) God, I'm I'm like getting a little turned on here. This is good. Yeah. But you're (laughs) more faster, harder. And guess what? You shoot your wad and you're done. And that's, that's exactly, you know, it's, it's, it's like a, you know, you got me a little unfiltered here, but that's you know what you, you're you're dead on about that. And and um, by by doing exactly what you're saying, we slow down, we take a few steps back. You can make this giant leap forward, and you just can keep going on and on and on. And you've got the power, you've got the endurance, the speed. Most of all, you've got your health. Yeah, absolutely. Athletic longevity, as well as what we said at the very start about so, when, when fat can be your preferential yeah, fuel, so, it has all those benefits from controlling inflammation to looking after your long-term health, metabolic pathways. It's it's the key. Yeah. Yeah. So so you know when people when we're talking about metabolic testing, it's it's really about like like I said before, it's about collecting data that's going to reinforce it. So kind of a, a a cliff notes way of doing that is, is, you know, as I ran through, do five or six different tests at different phases in your fat adaptation process. And then you can also use heart rate, but, but you and I would probably agree on this. You know, if you're going to do heart rate training, forget about setting your beeper, anything like that, except when you're in the very beginning stages and just collect the data um, and take notes about what you're feeling and seeing and then download the data and see how it correlates to how the run went or how the bike session went or how the brick session went and use the data as a tool, not 
try to chase the data and engineer your, your program. Yeah, um, I really agree with that point, actually. What I find quite interesting is I'll have a client that I work with who might not be looking very much at their heart rate. Then we do their metabolic testing and we get, we get some data so we can actually go back to have a look at their, say, their downloads from a race or a training session. And the conversation actually becomes really interesting because a good race can often be correlated to heart rates that are under the crossover point where the carbohydrate utilization is quite low. And a quote unquote bad race is very often at an intensity that's too high for that individual where their carbohydrate utilization is just up the cliff and there's no way they can even take the required amount to replenish in that race scenario. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And and so we've got to kind of, I think we have to sort of like make a, a, a more intuitive process and it, it's trying to take the data and the engineering of the data and the science and and making it, you know, a very intuitive thing. So, so when we do this, like you're saying, um, one of the things I, I see that's, that's really key is somebody's stressed, whether it's work stress or home life stress, or they're not getting, they didn't get the sleep. You can easily see that in heart rate training and you can see your heart rate just spike immediately and your pace is not going anywhere, no matter what your, you know, your pace or your power output. And so people need to start to understand these things and, and understand the variable. And, and how dynamic a situation this is, but not overthink it, okay? Just just realize, like, how important sleep is. Uh, you know, realize how important stress management is from a real, real world, and this is where the data can be really useful. But, you know, if somebody's got their, their um, you know, their garment on and they're checking it every 30 seconds, that's, that's just... It's just a sure way to um, wind up chasing your data and getting way less than optimal uh, results. And you know, going back to Mark Allen and, and, and having people like Bill Mapitone and Brent Segunda around him, you know, it allowed Mark to really use the data and the training structure to really get into that Zen zone. He talks a lot about this, and you know, he even co-wrote a book with Brent Segunda about this and that sort of spiritual zone to where you know he could just perform and that's the thing is 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 it is good but we want to take it from our conscious um conscious mind to to bring it putting in our subconscious because when we do things we 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 don't have to think about doing you know our our minds are so much more capable of of doing them and executing them and focusing on them, and and this is part of, of really good race psychology. But it, but it also applies to the physiology we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And that's again why the data is only a reference point that you can sort of move away from once you get a better understanding as to where you're at. Well, yeah, yeah, and the data the data is is very empowering, but it's 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 a it's a tool, and it, it can empower us, but make the tool the you know the the holy grail of our training and our racing and you see this all the time in 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 iron man uh and in, in half iron man training where these people you know the, the the joke with iron man coaches is their their client calls them up at 2 a 
you know, whether they should be putting on their 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 left shoe first or their right shoe first in T1 and T2. <laughs> you know, the kind of running joke where these people start overthinking every little detail rather than just getting in the zone and executing. And and then that's that's what can happen with with the data. So um, I know I'm I'm sort of overemphasizing this, but it, it's it's really true. True, but it doesn't it doesn't diminish from the data at all. But it just it actually empowers the athlete to use the data to empower themselves. Yeah, I agree. So let's talk about a little bit more of an application of metabolic testing beyond endurance training, and maybe for interval training prescription for people that might be doing a class like um, a HIT class or a a gym-based program, do you offer any guidance there for the heart rate zones that a metabolic test would provide? Well, um, what we do with, with OFM um, is we back people up and we, we, we do the kind of, we sure the workout and tweak the workouts to where they're, again, we're, we're building that cardiovascular base mm. and that's a two to three week process. And it's highly aerobic. Um, if they're doing any gym session or hit session or CrossFit session, it's going to be very light weights, full range of motion, um, high velocity, and, and um, very high set of repetitions. So it's really highly aerobic. And, and so the idea there is to induce the kind of um, stressors that are going to really create the color system development so that the cardiovascular system can feed the muscles and develop, like I say, those, those aerobic muscles um, rather than the bulking up that goes on in most gyms where they're inducing a lot of resistance and trying to do everything really quickly and stressing. So we do that first and then with, with a good warm up to get the physi- physiology and motion to burn and we'll start to push the, 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 the resistance and the strength to a certain extent, but then, you know, finish it out. So over stressing and I, and you know, males because of testosterone are going to be able to just push harder and they're going to get a bigger bang for their buck, but they have to be careful that they're not trying to push too much weight or too much resistance because then they start to build up that bulk and that, that, that big bulk that you get like barbellers get that's very hard to maintain it's type one anaerobic fast twitch muscle which which unless you're kind of that's the sport you're doing it's really not what i would consider the healthiest because you just don't have the development of the cardiovascular system to feed it so you know it's it's like it's like the white breast meat on a chicken or a turkey it's it's you know it's evolved to be this big mass that can have a, a short burst and that that's the end of it, which doesn't make, you know, it doesn't make you for the, to be the fittest person out there. Um, whereas this does us males, it's, it's a very fine line. And that's why we want to get that aerobic thing going, right? Because you can add, I see a lot of females that, that when they're doing these workouts and they start to add that resistance training and the strength training in, and, you know, they get caught up in the, the, the culture of CrossFit or the gym, they end up getting, too much stress and then they start putting on the weight and getting stressed and bloated and it doesn't matter whether you're fat adapted or a sugar burner that starts to happen in fact we i see a lot of people who get sort of hyper strict about the uh, uh you know low, 
low carb type thing. And then when they put that kind of stress on, the body's looking for some sugar to help it get through that acute moment of stress, you know, physiological stress of lifting a heavy thing. And uh, it's not there and it keeps looking harder. And you see, you see a lot of people doing, you know, low carb keto strategies that kind of dig themselves up adrenally. And so we, we, we want to be very careful that we avoid that. And it's, it's, it's particularly sensitive with, with females. You want to you induce where it's an adaptive stress rather than a chronic stress that's going to throw them over the edge. Yeah, absolutely, which is why the strategic carbs become so key for a long-term strategy. That's right. You know, you want to induce that, that adaptive adaptation to fat to get yourself back to fat burning and then periodically in a in a state of recovery reset it but you do want to bring some carbs in we found that that seems to to really be um a fundamental element when you're adding these kinds of stresses because because stress you know creates a an environment for going for, for the fight or flight fuel which is like in glucose stores right um and so that's it and, and another thing I, I do want to mention to you and your audience that's really key especially especially for the females out there, is I think culturally today um, we've got this situation where, you know, the female expectations and roles that, that a lot of the, the um, females fall into is they want to be good at everything and they're, they're just hyper aware. So there's a lot of pressure because, you know, now you're not just allowed to be a mom and a wife. you got to be, a, you have a career. Um, you've got these sports now you want to do well and, and, because women tend to have the kind of brain hardwiring that they they're just want to do all these things well and stress out about it. they start getting chronically stressed and, and and I think there's just a lot of cultural pressure on that and and that induces a lot of um, the kind of stress you know and 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 the stress is that chronic cortisol instead of acute stress on occasion where cortisol is a good thing you have this chronic stress and, and this constant pinging of, of the need for cortisol. And then to produce all that cortisol, um, you, you end up all the pregnenolone steel, which is pregnenolone is a, is a precursor to hormones. So the, you know, your body has to use that pregnenolone to make all this cortisol. And then all of a sudden there's, there's no pregnenolone to make the estradiol, the estrogen, the testosterone, and all the other hormones, you know, the progesterone and, and all the other things you need for good, good hormone balance. And if you top that off with some adrenal fatigue because you're too low carb or because you're high carb and you got the insulin going on, so, um, I can't say it anymore that it gets to be a complicated mess. And you wind up, you, you see, you know, and I'm sure you see this in your practice, you wind up with a bunch of uh, women that are just hormonally out of balance. And, and it's, it's, just, it's, it's just sad. It's just tragic because these women are trying to live up to something and we're, we're told that they don't, you know, you're okay. You're okay right where you're at. They probably get a lot better results. Yeah. Well, it's a great point. Like it sounds complicated, but it's actually unfortunately too common. And I see plenty of people who feel like they've invested two years in trying to become fat adapted and they're not getting results. And then we might do their metabolic testing and their crossover points really low and their fat oxidation is really low. And it can become quite disheartening for these people because, you know, they they feel like they've been giving it a shot or on the journey for a couple of years. But in a way, the testing can be a, 
a good piece of evidence to show them the influence of stress if if it is that contributing factor which is continuing to drive their glucose metabolism higher and higher and negate any attempt at fat metabolism? Yeah, no, no. that And that's why I'm so vocal about that because it, it's just become very evident to me in both looking at the physiology of it and working with athletes that, you know, having that um, chronic stress plus chronic conscious thought, like, like following the data. When you're consciously thinking, you just don't perform well. It's like, it's like when you're learning to drive or you're learning a new to dance or something that you're learning to do that requires motor skills. You're all kind of like left feet and you're kind of thinking about it and you don't really do well at it. Whereas once you get it, you don't think about it and your body just does it and it's, it's much more relaxed and at ease. And, and that's where, you know, my, my, my emphasis on using the data as a tool to reinforce your own um, intuitive proprioception of, of what you're experiencing as a fat adapted athlete is so important. And then, like you said, you know, you test all these people who've been on this fat adapted journey, but when you test them on a metabolic cart, they're not doing jack diddly mm. in terms of burning fat because they're so stressed out. It. And, um, you know, the, the old saying, the trite saying, you know, the perfect is the enemy of the good is, is, is very relevant here. And, and like I said, you know, um, so many women are, are just trying to really be perfect about it that they, they undermine their of, of becoming fit. You know, they should, they should be using these things as a tool and, and, and a tool to enjoy life and, and, and relax. And I think, I think that's where, like a lot of these training groups, whether it's in a gym or running, um, a lot of them are, are mostly female-based, and, and these social circles are really good. And 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 I think that support network is very necessary. But part of that message has to be, you know, that you've got to scale training load to the lifestyle of that person. Because if you're, you know, if you're a, a typical female in your reproductive and professional years. You know, you've got the job, you've got the husband, you've got the family, you know, you're, you're, you're a mom, um, you know, you're wanting to chase kids around. That's, that's just a biological, you know, thing. When, when, when women have a couple of kids, they're, yeah, after they're, you know, they're highly focused on that, but then they're also highly focused on their careers. They're highly focused on being, you know, good at their sport and, and something's got to give. So you know, a lot of times, you know, you've got to scale the training to to where they can um, get them into X mode of training. Like I just had a, a new client I took on here in the East Coast of the United States. And, you know, I told her to slow down her, her, her pace today and she just couldn't believe the difference it made. Because she was one of those people that was, you know, you have an hour to work out. You need to work out as hard as you can within that hour because you have that hour to do. And, and so, you know, the messages, there's a lot of cultural messages and a lot of uh, mixed messages out there in the endurance sphere. And, and so I think it's, it's, it's key that we get people, you know, back from that edge, understand that they're good. And we get them off that conscious thought as much as we get them to restrict their carbohydrates. 
It's the full package. So what I want to move Absolutely. into next is um, some common examples that I've seen in some metabolic testing results. Just get your thoughts on that, um, all these different scenarios. So as we've discussed with faster, we know now that the crossover point can be in that sweet spot of like 75% VO2 max. But what, what happens when the crossover point is really low? like as low as, say, 95 beats per minute. What would the athlete do in terms of using that crossover point or would they come back to using their math heart rate to begin? Well, I hate to say this, Steph, I'm not trying to confuse you or your your audience here, but it's a that depends. I mean, there's so many variables, yeah. like like how old is that person, how metabolically, how where are they metabolically, you know, their genetics, what's they're doing so but i get your point so what you're saying is they're crossing over at a relatively low heart rate for for where they should be is that correct yeah or just like quite low that obviously is anything other than walking would be above their crossover point well i would i would think that when you get to that point you kind of if you're at that point where where anything above a walk is being you know, this massive rush to burning glucose, yeah. you might want to be looking, um, you know, pulling some tests and looking at, at you know, some issues like thyroid, um, you know, some hormone testing, uh, you know, testing levels, um, your, you know, your different hormones and all those things, because you might have an underlying condition, you know, you have these, you, something is, is, stressing and I, I look a lot of things like like layers of stress and layers of inflammation so you know one layer in and of itself uh, may not be significant but if you have several layers it can really you know um, create a, a mess and tip somebody over like like one common thing is like like a female that's trying to exercise who's highly sensitive in her mid luteal you know day 21 through 25 of her cycle that time is, is, you know, it's the time of the month when the uterus is getting ready to shed, the hormones are dropping, the uterus is inflamed, so you got that layer of inflammation. Well, carbs, there's another layer of inflammation, and then say you induce some high training load, you got another inflammation. Say you have, um, she, she takes in some dairy. Well, you might get, she might be dairy sensitive, or she might take in some wheat and be wheat sensitive, or it might be the pollen and so you get all these layers and it's like it's hard to parse that out so i'm not trying to confuse it but but people should be looking the, the should be looking at at the underlying things if they're crossing over too early um for their for their age heart rate adjusted heart rate and and so you want to look and see what might be going on do you have is your white blood cell count up you know what i'm saying mm. Or is your insulin level up? Um, what's triggering? Are you stressed about something? You're not getting enough good REM sleep. Um, so that would be my first thing: is is like look look for an underlying condition and and, and don't overcomplicate. Just say you know what's going on in my life that's yeah. causing me to to do that. And 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 you know if you haven't exercised in a long time and you're not and you're eating a crappy high carb diet, even if it's a healthy high carb diet, you know when you first start out. That's kind of the way, even if you are healthy, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just you're going you're gonna to start to burn sugar because that's what your, your body's grown dependent on. Yeah. And that's, that's an underlying condition, sugar addiction. 
Yeah, absolutely. And like, I don't mind the answer. It depends because it always depends. So it's um, yep. not simple. Like human physiology is not well, black or white. No, no. And that's the thing. And, and like, 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 and this, I'm glad you're saying that because you and I are on the on same page because a lot of your quote unquote health and fitness gurus and politicians, they, they give these black and white things on the media and they're really, the, the people who are kind of like out there in the media who are quote unquote experts with, with degrees and stuff. Most of the, most of those people are probably in terms of, of their expertise, probably at a, at a mid level. Um, I won't, I won't say mediocre, even though I'm thinking it, <laughs> they're mediocre because they're out there saying these black and white things. And when you talk to somebody who's a really good researcher um, and really thinks about it's always it, it depends because I, I I work with guys like Steve Finney and Jeff Bollock. My wife is a research scientist. Um, my best running friend is is a research scientist. Um, and so it's always an it depends thing because you know it's like okay, what are all these? You know we got to identify all these variables to get uh, you know the right answer because you know you shift the variable round round the the the, the uh, the the result is going to be very different. So, I think that that's as we've talked before with with previous podcasts. It's really important for people to understand that that if you're getting a black and white answer about human physiology and diet and athletic performance from somebody and they know very little about you, they're probably um, it's probably a little more complicated than they're making it. Yeah, shades of gray. So another scenario is, yep. so we can do the metabolic testing at rest and we get a percentage of fat versus carbohydrate or we get our RQ. What are your thoughts on someone that has a good base resting fat oxidation but yeah, quite yeah. a low crossover point and a high carbohydrate utilization as soon as they start to exercise? Uh, what was that again, a high carbohydrate utilization? Um, utilization as soon as they start to exercise. Yeah, well, they need to get fat adapted. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like like Dr. Navazio, Dr. Navazio told me at rest most of that, even if we're on a when we're on a conventional diet, yeah. that's just, you know, the body is trying to go back to that. And 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 um you know, it'll go for that for a while and somebody who's really not well, like say at rest and they've eaten a meal and it's been maybe an hour, it hasn't hit that hour two or three minutes. Uh, Mark, they might be burning mostly fat at that point, but then all of a sudden their their blood sugar will, will start drifting down because they've got too much insulin to keep them from making endogenous ketones and endogenous glucose to supply their brain needs, and then all of a sudden over down, and then you know the body's going to ping that hunger. They'll still be using fat for a number of physiological functions, but but all of a sudden they need to get more glucose to bring it back up because they can't produce it endogenously because they don't have their insulin low enough to 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 be self-sufficient yeah so okay. then, go on yeah so so they they you know when you're when you're talking about that have a resting fat burn that's really pretty good but as soon as they get going they start burning yeah sugar and that's just a sure sign that they're, you know, addicted to the carbs and need to need to work on their fat adaptation. 
Yeah, and obviously the metabolic tests are done in a fasted state. So hopefully that individual has been fasting overnight so they don't have that immediate, you know, glucose from food. So, you know, I think a lot of people, in my experience anyway, they get that resting fat amount and if it's quote-unquote good, they almost assume that they can continue with their poor carbohydrate-dense diet, which is completely incorrect. Yes, that, that you're... You're you're absolutely right about that, and, and unfortunately, um, you know the term I used is is a deboxed kinesthesia. When you're in that carbohydrate addicted mode, uh, and it really is addiction, you don't you, you know the 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 feedback loop that's that's giving you the proprioception of what your body needs is is deboxed kinesthesia. So your your body thinks it needs those carbohydrates, mm. and and it's such a desperate rush to get them to fuel the brain because the brain, because you can't make the car, you know, you can't make the glucose and the ketones to fuel your brain and your liver because, you know, your, your insulin high and they're stopping you from doing that. You know, it's like this, this mad rush and, 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 and really it, it makes sense. I mean, it's just like, this is what's going on. And, and, um, you know, the body is really self-sufficient in a way, but that debauch kinesthesia just provides that feedback loop that, that, you know, people think they're being intuitive, but they're really um, fooling themselves. You know, like like you, you, I'm sure you see that all the time. People are trying to transition, and they they just keep saying, "No, my, I'm one of these people that needs those carbs." Well, they think it gives them energy you and know. makes them full, which is such a fallacy because it lasts all of you know ninety yep. minutes or two hours. <laughs> yeah, and, and and that's not yeah, and and they just never. Are, because of that debauch kinesthesia is preventing them from, you know, going through the pain of, of transitioning to being fat adapted. And, it, and, you know, it can be, it can be pretty painful because you really, you know, depending on the, the length and duration of them being carbohydrate addicted, there could be, you know, underlying issues that make it really hard rather than just hard, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, cause there's, there's an, yeah, you know, there's, an, there's some really complex emerging science on on the whole development of type 2 diabetes where it's not just the insulin it's the insulin and the glucagon because what one of the they're finding is is glucagon signaling gets messed up because of chronic high carbohydrates and then then you don't turn off your your endogenous glucagon hormone production so that's that's one of the factors that's that's keeping people's blood sugar up so you're making glucagon to make glucose then after that meal your your liver is making glucose in this this really um, unnatural way that that keeps blood sugar high. Yeah, absolutely. And very so complex. it it gets very complex. Mm-hmm. So 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 the further down you go, you know, like I say, you know, we we the further down you go, the longer you go, the more complicated the metabolism gets. Whereas, you know, if you catch it early and do something about it, um, it it's it's a lot simpler process, even though it might entail some discomfort. It's it's not nearly as bad as if, say, you get further down the road. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing with um, real food or a lower carbohydrate approach. It you know it's a, might be short term in terms of pain and their transition, but wouldn't you rather do that than end up with diabetes? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, and and like you say, you know, it's it's it it really. Is. It's simple if you understand some of the basic concepts. Like I, I agree with you that real food is, is easily the way to go, and and just understanding that 
the, the starchier, sugary food, real foods are the ones you, you want to have occasionally and just think that, think like I say in my talks, that you know, when you think about the evolutionary pressures that shaped us, you know, for most of our existence, we had concentrated forms of carbohydrates three to five times a year, not three to five times a day for decades. Yeah. And so yeah. once you're adapted, you know, the occasional fruit, the occasional sweet for a social reason, or the occasional starch before, say, a big event, I don't, I don't think that's the end of the world because we really are that, that resilient. And, and um, that takes me to another little trick about this perfect is the enemy of the good mm-hmm. is that you know the, the, the term orthorexia is now kind of out there it's now the new buzzword but people get so caught up in making sure it's it's a certain grade or it's non-gmo or organic and and oh it's got to be this and source from this that they yeah. they're, they're stressing about the food so much that if you just eat fresh food and don't worry about it too much and, and know to stay away from the starchy stuff and the fruit, the concentrated fruits all most of the time and just have them occasionally, you're, you're probably going to get yourself a long way down the road without a lot of stress. And, and if you're trying to get perfect and stressing about it, you're going to do way more harm um, in terms of getting the fat adaptation right than just, you know, taking it easy and eating real food. I mean, the reason you and I have lots of people talking to us and wanting help is because it's, it's, people are doing this kind of thing. It's like, this, this really isn't that hard. And, and if you understand the basics, it's really easy. And really, people like you and me should be not working. We should be in another profession. But <laughs> fortunately, um, oh, there's been like a lot we'll of misinformation. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I'm pretty comfortable saying we have plenty of job security. Yeah. I also appreciate that I, I am the guide. You know, I think often people have, you know, a fairly good knowledge or baseline knowledge in this day and age with the real food movement, but it's the personalization that they need guidance with. And I think that's key. I think that's where they're going to get the results by continuing to get their guidance and refine things and retest and try new strategies because, you know, their their physiology is constantly evolving. Yeah, that's right. And, and but but I guess the point I'm making is the same. It's the same as what I'm talking about with the stress of, of following the data. Is you know people can go overboard on the on stressing about the real stuff. You know, and and um, because I've I, I've been trained in in agriculture and at one of the best universities in, in the United States for agricultural research, and see a lot of the data and, and stuff, um, the hard data, the nutritional data, it doesn't make it into the mainstream press, it's like, you you know, most people, you know, if you don't have time to go to the farmer's market or source your beef or, or eggs or whatever, um, and you don't have the funds, if you're tight on money, you know, the supermarket, whether it's in Australia or in the United States, you know, just knowing to get the fresh foods there is going to get you most of the way. And, and, but, but naturally if you could afford it and, and going to a farmer's market or going to how your beef or chickens are raised is is an enjoyable pastime that's going to be part of a lifestyle and relaxing. I'm I, I definitely want to encourage that, but people shouldn't feel stressed out and like they, they have to have their food from this source or that. I, I think you know the the real food movement should be about um, 
ability to fresh foods. And, you know, if you do just a few little tricks like eat the whole animal and say if you're buying your beef from the supermarket, you just supplement with some fish oil, you're, you're really kind of going to get yourself where you need to be. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, grass-fed beef is not better. It certainly is in terms of the omega uh, three, six, nine balance and the conjugated linoleic acids and, and same thing with eggs and, and all that. But it, it's just, there's a little, there's the difference isn't that much and you pay a big price and then sourcing becomes, and then all that adds up to stress. And, and so you want to make it, the message is make it easy for yourself, make it intuitive, just like with the data, you want to use these things as tools. Yeah. As I always say, one, pick your battles and two, Focus on what you do every day rather than what you do every once in a while. You're dead on, Steph. I couldn't, I couldn't have said that better. Just you got to make this an everyday lifestyle that's easy. You don't think about it. And um, that's how, you know, you know and, and understand the context of, of where your data is coming from and what people are talking about foods. I think, I think the real food movements is fantastic. I think that the push to get better quality foods is, is, is necessary. I think the modern food production system is perfect, but it's not nearly as bad as people make it out to be, but it certainly could be better. Um, so I think that this is, this is a, a very great time we're in and, and, and the fact that we have the information accessible to us through the internet and sometimes to a fault where we get information overload is another problem but we have you know people have access to to good information now it's just sorting through what the good information is yeah absolutely. Um, but we're, we're you know we have a great time to really make some some you know people now are empowered to really kind of choices rather than have them you know marketed to them but unfortunately there's a lot of people still marketing stuff so i don't know what the answer is but but you know we're you know, access to like a podcast. I mean, 15 years ago, who'd have thought that, you know, we could be sitting here, me in California, you in Australia, and, and um, having a discussion, a conversation like this that people um, would want to engage in and um, uh, learn how to find this, like you say, this everyday real world approach to getting themselves back to learning fat at a high rates so they can get their performance and health up yeah very well said one last scenario before we finish up pete because this is turning into quite the discussion but always fun um so what if we're looking at a young athlete who's 19 with a math heart rate of 161 is that too high for aerobic benefits particularly if they're not fat adapted therefore utilizing lots of carbs at that heart rate Can you repeat that again? I don't quite <laughs> didn't quite get the nuances of that with the carbs. That's okay. Um, so, Nineteen year old. Yep. Yeah. MAF or math heart rate of one sixty one. So mm-hmm. it, a is that too high for aerobic benefits? Um, particularly if they're not fat adapted and therefore utilizing lots of carbs at that MAF heart rate. Yeah, that's. What are you talking about? A male athlete or a female uh, athlete? Female. Okay, you're gonna get me. You got me on my soapbox, so this is gonna be a longer, <laughs> longer <laughs> podcast than you want. But the, I, I am gonna get on. I am gonna get on that soapbox, and 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 my good friend Nikki Kimball, who's one of the greatest ultra runners around, would 
get on, she's on that same soapbox. Um, female athletes, young female athletes, young female girls, when they're developing, when they um, through you know that 10, 12 years old through into their twenties, it's it's such a formative time, and they get this message, body image, and and fat phobia, and what they're eating, and and I had this discussion the other day with somebody about this because I was on my soapbox about this, but this is a time when when that complicated female hormonal cycle starts. It's a time when these women really need to be fat adapted because optimizing your fat metabolism isn't just about fueling your exercise, sport, and life with fat, but also metabolizing fat for all the great things that are in them, those fat-soluble vitamins, the K1, K2, um, D3, uh, vitamin A, and, and the B vitamins. And, and, and you, just, you just, they really need that for optimal health, both, both physical health, mental and emotional health and stability. It's just, I can't say that enough. So um, it's key. I mean, Nikki, Nikki will tell you she traces her depression back to her college days when a certain very famous doctor came to her college and said all the girls were fat and they need to eat high carb, low fat. And she was a med, pre-med student, uh, a competitive biathlete who was training to be the Olympics. And it just ruined her, ruined her for life to where she's on meds for her depression. And she talks very openly about her depression. And, and I see this happen all too much. So, um, I think that the heart rate is not too high, but I think we really do need to get this message out about um, the complicated and counterintuitive ways that fat is so crucial for, for young women to get you know, adapted towards being able to metabolize because you, I see this and I've seen it so many times these, these women are eating, these young women are eating cereal and porridge and you know lots of carbs to fuel their exercise and they're hungry every two or three hours and it's just it's it's like i say if you're doing any volume of exercise and you're fueling it with glucose you're probably doing yourself more long-term harm than good mm. and but when you're doing it with fat it's a completely different world mm. um as an aside to that i was at the low carb uh down under conference of, in Vail a few weeks ago and um, had dinner with uh, Steve Finney and Dr. Paul Mangarelli. Now, Steve Finney's pretty famous because he's the guy that really got this whole low-carb thing going. He sounded the alarm in the early 80s, and nobody listened to him. Um, but Dr. Mangarelli is a, a MD, PhD, and he has a reproductive, he's a re- reproductive endocrinologist with a, a fertility clinic out of Colorado Springs. And one of the take-home messages I got out of this is, PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is something that's just all too common in females today, it's basically a manifestation of, of insulin resistance. Yeah. So I, I, that's not, I don't think that's the answer you want, but, <laughs> but I think there's a take-home message there that, yes, um, rather, I don't think the heart rate is too, too, is too high if you're fat-adapted or not, not fat-adapted. It's just that we, we need to get that message out that, that fueling with a lot of carbohydrates, they can get away with it in that moment at a young age, but they're not getting away with it in terms of their long-term health, performance, quality of life. Yeah, and that's the whole message here. I hope people can see the 
the, you know, the big umbrella under which you and I are standing in this discussion is long-term health. So we're looking at athletes now for performance, but obviously athletic longevity is huge and it's what we focus on every single time we have this discussion. But regardless of whether someone's an athlete or not, it's about being in control of their metabolic pathways and making the right choices with their nutritional and training decisions so that they're looking after themselves today and for the future. Yep. Well, and, and to close on this, um, I also think that that I also, my, my underlying philosophy is the healthiest athlete is the one that potentially can perform the best. And, and so we want to get them into that point and say, say, you know, maybe a marathoner, you, you know, by the time they come to their Olympic marathon day, they might not, they might be fast and a little frail. They won't be at their most, but we start them out at their best and bring them, bring them to their, their best performance. But then we, we, we bring them back to that robust health. Um, so I don't, I want people who are interested in performance know that we are focused on, on, on performance. And, and to close this, what, what's, what's, kind of emerging with with what we're doing uh, with the optimized fat metabolism is that there's a whole nother metabolic um, picture out there of robust health and performance that's not currently described because nobody's you know, you know until recently nobody's really been doing this on a fat-based approach where we're, we're both doing training diet lifestyle all aimed at creating this really robust foundation that you can build upon and even use, you know, significant carbohydrates. Okay. So I, I think that that's, that's, that's something the audience needs to know is, is, is we're sort of in this no man's land. And, and so there, there's not, not anything described yet about that base foundation of human health. And, and I think you'll agree that, that the current state of, of what, health model is 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 not that healthy you know yeah yeah it's been a big part of the problem yeah i mean you look at this the whole statin thing the diabetes thing you know what the kind of advice they tell you about heart disease what time what kind of advice they give about dieting for type 2 diabetes and you know you know i think i don't think anybody's got a, a an overt um you know message to be evil but if you understand the physiology, this is not, you know, the recommendations for, for using less, you know, grains versus processed grains for a type two diabetics is, you know, that's, it's kind of, it's kind of ridiculous. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not to get, get the person to their optimal health. It's to get them, get them healthier than just being on a crappy diet, a totally crappy diet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very true. All right, Pete. Thanks so much for your time today. It's been a fascinating discussion, uh, as always. And um, I will pop some show notes as to where people can find you and some links to our previous podcast where we've discussed um, more on real food and fat adaptation, as well as the FASTA study, which has been a big um, piece of the puzzle in 2015. Yeah, well, I think uh, we're going to do some great things here um, going forward, Steph, and uh, always a pleasure to be on your podcast and look forward to uh, collaborating on more stuff. Absolutely. We shall. Talk to you really soon, Pete. Thanks again. Thank you. 
This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.